you have your Bibles this morning, please open to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. This morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verses 17 through 34. Now, this summer, as we've uh, finished a week or two ago, the, the sermon series on the book of Esther, this summer I thought I would do a couple of sermons that I thought would be encouraging to our church family. And this morning, as we celebrate communion, I thought it would be really helpful to us to look at um, one of the main sections of Scripture that, deal with, that deals with the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, let me give you a little bit of context to the letter of Corinthians so that you kind of know what, what caused this letter to be written and what's behind it from Paul's perspective. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth sometime in the spring. It was near Pentecost, so we know it was in the spring of either A.D. 53 54 or 55. So it was one of those three years Paul wrote this letter as he was nearing the end of his three-year ministry in Ephesus. Paul had set up shop in Ephesus. He was there for three years. And towards the end of that three-year stint, um, he received an oral report of some of the things that were going on in Corinth, and some of them really distraught Paul. And so he, it caused him to write this letter. There were se several key problems that the congregation at Corinth was facing. Those problems included divisions, factions, sexual immorality, and spiritual and financial elitism. So the church was facing a myriad of problems, and all of those problems kept the church from fulfilling their purpose to glorify Jesus and advance the gospel. So this was a church that was in trouble. Now, in God's providence, before we're too hard on the Corinthians, um, in God's providence, we have this letter that addresses all of these problems. So this letter has been instrumental throughout history in allowing churches to assess who they are, where they are, identify problems at hand, and to address them with the gospel. And so this, as we read through it, you're like, man, that Corinthian church has a bunch of problems. But at least we have a record of it, and we have a record of how Paul would have us address these kinds of issues. And so, this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, Paul will address the problems of the church surrounding their celebration of the Lord's Supper and their true purpose as a church. Now, I hope we can learn together, especially as we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper after hearing these direct instructions about it in our text. So, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11... And I'll go ahead and, and t have you, you put your, go ahead and also open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. Put your finger there, because we'll be there in a little bit. Um, so just, uh, we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 1 for just a brief second. But also, but let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Paul says this, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. That's not what you want to hear at the beginning of a section. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you are eating. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if you judged yourselves truly, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About, and about other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's, will you pray with me before we begin? Father, we ask today that as we prepare our hearts and minds, Lord, to take communion, Lord, I pray that right now you would open our eyes and open our hearts, open our minds, and Father, may we see Jesus more clearly, Father, may we examine ourselves, and Father, may we, um, Lord, seek repentance and revival through it. And so, Father, we ask now that you would draw near to your church, that, Father, your spirit would move, you would convict, you would change our hearts, you would reveal sin, but more than that, you would show us Jesus, who is our Savior, and for whom we wait. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to break this text into two sections as we walk through it together. First, I want you to see the problems at hand in Corinth. The problems at hand in Corinth. I mentioned some of them earlier, but I want to go through the ones that we see particularly in chapter 11. So if we look at verses, if we look at these first few verses, we have to ask the question, what does Jesus see when he looks at a church? What does Jesus see when he looks at the church at Corinth? And what would Jesus see if he looks at our church here at First Baptist Huntington over 2,000 years later? Well, what, what Paul sees in this church are three things that, need to be, that, that attention has to be drawn to. The first is he sees divisions. Look at verses 17 through 19 again at what Paul says he sees. He says, when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So there are divisions. And he says, I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. So what Paul sees is he sees that there are divisions and factions in this church that he cannot commend them for. That there are particular behaviors, particular practices that are going on that to the point that when they gather as a church, Paul says, to the effect, it would actually be better if you did not gather. Because your gathering is bringing shame on the name of Jesus. That you are, coming together, you are coming together as a church, not for the better, not for the mutual edification of the saints, not for the building up of the body, not for the equipping of the saints, not for the exaltation of Jesus, but you are coming together for entirely different purposes. And so when you do that, it is for the worse, not for the better because of these divisions that are among you. But second, he says there's not only divisions, there's disorder. 
He says there in verses 20 and 21, he says, um, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So, he says there in very condemning language, when you come together, what you are doing is not the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. That's incredibly strong language. Paul is saying, you might have the elements, you might have food, you might have the wine, you might have the bread, but you... But what you don't have is a heart for orderly worship. You can see that, right? So Paul is saying, whatever you are doing, whatever you want to call it, it's not the Lord's Supper. You can go through the motions, but it's not worship. Now, the reason I wanted you to go back to Isaiah, so flip back over there to Isaiah chapter 1, is in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah addresses that same problem with Israel. He tells Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, you have everything available to you for worship. You have all the lambs you need, you have a temple, you have priests, you have have festivals, you have all these accoutrements of worship, but you don't have a heart for it. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 10. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. By the way, he's not writing to Sodom, he's writing to Jerusalem. He says, take... Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear, to my teach, uh, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So that's not off to a good start, is it? God's own people in Israel, he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, what, is, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? You have a bunch of them, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? He says, you keep coming. You keep coming and bringing offerings, but what you're doing isn't worship. You're actually trampling what is holy. And he says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. So they have all the elements of worship. They're doing all of these things, and God says, it's an abomination. I hate it. I hate it. He says, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, this is prayer. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And then he gives the remedy. He says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Now verse 18, 18, here's the remedy. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The remedy is repentance. The remedy is repentance. Repent of the divisions and of the disorder. So what's happening here? This is still true for all of us this morning. The elements of communion, and we have them. All of you should have received them as you came in. Some grape juice and a cracker. The elements of communion 
do not ensure exalting Jesus. Just think about it. We have all the accoutrements here. We've singing. We have singing. We have all the instruments. We have musicians. We have the elements of worship. We have God's word. We've prayed. We've lifted up our voices in song. None of that means that we've actually engaged in worship. To quote my favorite song by Don Henley, I'm trying to get down to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of my heart. Jesus looks at the heart. And in verses 20 and 21, he says that feeding your own desires with no regard for the needs of others is not pleasing to the Lord. At Corinth, one person was eating without any regard for what anyone else had, and others are getting drunk. And Paul says, all you're doing is feeding your own desires and your own flesh. You're not caring for the needs of others. One is starving, one is feasting, and one is getting drunk at a solemn meeting of the church. And that is called self-centeredness. It's also the opposite of the gospel. Jesus did not come to be served or to serve himself. Jesus came to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. So the point is, you, you cannot have disorder. That's the problem. You have, you have divisions, you have disorder, but then you have, lastly, discrimination. Look at verse 22. There's discrimination. He says, he says, he says um, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So you see, they're humiliating those who have nothing. It appears that the rich in Corinth were using their means and their position and their possessions to humiliate those who had none of those things. So the affluent people were penalizing the poor. You can hear them saying things like this, you should dress better before you come to church. You can hear them saying things like, I'm sorry that you're starving, but that's not my problem. I'm sorry you don't have any food. We have plenty, but we're not going to share with you. You can, have them, you can hear them saying things like this, you can't eat at this table because this table is for the noble and for the dignitaries and for the mayor of the town or something like that. Um, that, that this isn't for you. Now, what, what's happening here, Paul says that this spirit of discrimination is actually despising the church of God. You see what he says? Do you despise the church of God? Your attitudes and actions towards the poor among you are, a, are despicable in God's sight. In fact, it is God who despises this kind of attitude. You despise the church of God by despising the poor, and it is God who despises what you are doing. And I want you to know that James confronts this same problem in his letter, where the poor are told to sit at the feet of the rich in their congregation, and James says that making distinctions and showing partiality to the rich and despising the poor is evil, and it dishonors the poor. And so you can see that um, hopefully by God's grace, the church has come a long way in 2,000 years trying to understand that all people alike are made in the image of God and what, what your, your material possessions are not what make you right with God or show whether or not you are blessed by God. In fact, it is Jesus who says, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit because the kingdom belongs to those kinds of people. And so the point here is there's discrimination. And so those are the problems at Corinth. Every church Every church since then has had to live under this same warning. All churches for 2,000 years who've read this letter to Corinthians have to go, we have to be careful in our church that we don't have divisions and factions. 
We have to make sure that we're all here for the same purposes, and we have to make sure that we are not discriminating each other or, or, or operating with disorderly worship. We have to make sure that's, that's who we're called to because that, he says that is what it means to be a part of the church of God, not the church of one group of people, not the church of, well, this is the church of God at Corinth, so you know, we do what we want to in Corinth. No, this church belongs to Jesus. Jesus died for the church. It belongs to him. So those are the problems at hand in Corinth. But here's the second thing. Notice next that Paul gives the purpose of the gathered church. He says that he gives the purpose of the gathered church. Now, the reason I use the word gathered is because God intends for the church to gather. You have to gather together to be the church. The church means assembly. That's what it means. It means the gathering together of those who have been called out by God. The Greek word is ekklesia. That means that when we leave this place, we are the church scattered. We go to our homes and we go to the mission field and we go out into our community to be salt and light scattered as the people of God. But the habit of the church has to be that one of the, one of the hallmarks of a church is that we gather together for the purposes of God. That there is no such thing as a church that only is scattered. And there's no such thing as a church that only gathers. That a church has to do both of those things to be what God has called it to be. Like when I walk out of this building, I am still a believer walking with Jesus, going into my life and ministry for God's purposes. And part of God's purposes are for me then to turn around and gather with God's body for God's purposes. Now that's important. At the end of a pandemic, People need to hear that, that the purposes of God are that the church gathers. Now, where do I get that from this text? Notice five times this phrase, when you come together in this text. Look at verse 17. When you come together, you see that? He says, when you come together, when you gather, when you assembly, verse 17. Look at verse 18. He says, when you come together as a church. Look at verse 20. He says it again. He says, when you come together. Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together. Look at verse 34. He says, when you come together. God expects his church to gather together. We were bought to belong to one another. And so God intends for the church to gather together. And when we gather we gather for God's purposes and glory. Hear me. We are, and this is why those divisions were so wrong in Corinth, we are one body in Christ. We are, we have one bread that we share together. We have one cup that we drink from. We have one Lord and Savior. We have one mutual hope. And we have one mutual future reality when we gather together as God's people eternally under the reign of, and rule of Jesus and all of those truths have to be lived out together all of those divisions we just discussed betray those ultimate truths that we share as a body of Christ now from this text I want to point out three main reasons we gather together so if you're taking notes here are the three main reasons we gather the church from this text. First, we gather to give Jesus the preeminence and glory. Amen? That's why we are here. Jesus is worthy of our praise. We are here for the glory and exaltation of Jesus. Now look at our text. 
Three things here about gathering for Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the giver of the Lord's Supper. It is Jesus who gave it to us. Look at verse 23. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So all of this, all of this stuff about communion, Paul says, I got it directly from Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave it to me. So the Lord's Supper, or gathering together as a body, this isn't Paul's idea, nor is it the idea of the other apostles. It was Jesus who instituted the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed, and it was Jesus who gave himself for his church, and he gave us this memorial, this ordinance as a memorial. So Jesus is the giver of the Lord's Supper. Secondly, Jesus is the gift that the Lord's Supper celebrates. It is about Jesus. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, on the night that the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Notice who's doing this. He gives thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. It's mine. This is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's my blood that is being shed. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus isn't the one who just gives us the Lord's Supper. He himself is the gift that the Lord's Supper celebrates. So we celebrate Jesus as the gift. Just think about this all through the New Testament. Jesus offers himself as the gift. Jesus offers himself for the glory of the Father and for the life of the world. That's what John 6 and John 12 says. Jesus offers himself as a substitute for sinners. He dies in our place. Jesus offers himself to satisfy the demands of the law for us. We couldn't keep the law, so Jesus did it for us. He offered himself as the one who would satisfy the demands of the law. Jesus offers himself to bear the wrath of God against sin for us. Instead of God's wrath, deserved wrath, being poured out on us, Jesus offers himself to take it. Jesus is the one who is standing in the middle on all of this. Jesus offers himself as our advocate and our representative to the Father. Jesus offers himself as our faithful high priest. He's the gift. We celebrate him. We gather for the preeminence and glory of Jesus above all things. But not only that, Jesus is the goal of the Lord's Supper. He's the giver, He's the gift, and the goal. The, the, what I mean by that is we do this in remembrance of Him. The goal of the Lord's Supper is to focus our minds, our hearts, and our affections on Jesus. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper and baptism for this purpose to celebrate Christ now let me just say it this way there is no other purpose for the Lord's Supper there is no other purpose for baptism than to celebrate and, re and remember what Christ has done and our relationship to him because of the gospel the ordinances can't save us the Lord's Supper will not make you right with God baptism will not make you right with God they will not save you. They cannot wash away sins. Only Jesus can. That's why we sing, Jesus saves, not anything else. 
We celebrate Jesus. So we, that's why we gather together. We gather to give Jesus the preeminence and the glory. Secondly, we gather to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to all people. That's what church is about. We celebrate Jesus and we proclaim the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 26. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul here gives us the main purpose of communion, right? We, we declare in communion, in the Lord's Supper, what we believe about what Jesus has done. Paul says we gather and we, when we gather and we receive the Lord's Supper, it is a proclamation of the gospel. When we take this a little bit later, you are proclaiming that you belong to Jesus and that you have put your faith in him. That's the point. It is meant to be a proclamation of the gospel made by those who embrace the gospel and whose identity has been shaped by the gospel. What we are saying when we come together as a church is that we are gospel people. We believe the gospel. We are saying we belong to Jesus. Hear me. This is important. I want this, this one sentence to sink into our hearts. We are saying that we belong to Jesus more than we belong to this world or anything in it. I belong to Jesus more than I belong to anything else in this world or in this world. I, my whole identity is wrapped up in Jesus who loves me and gave himself up for me. That's what I'm saying. We gather to proclaim the gospel. When we gather and celebrate and exalt Jesus. We are proclaiming to each other and to the world some very consequential truths. And consequential is a very light word for what I really mean. This is what we are saying when we celebrate communion together. Here's what we're saying. We believe that Jesus really lived. He really lived 2,000 years ago. We are saying that we believe he, his body was really broken for us. We really believe that his blood was spilled. We believe that he really took our sins upon himself. We believe that he really rose again. And we really have forgiveness in his name. And we believe that he really is returning soon. Notice what Paul says there. He says we do this until he comes. We proclaim the gospel to each other and to the world until he comes. That's our gospel hope. We are saying that Jesus really died. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. He is really at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming again. That is what we believe. So we gather to proclaim our gospel hope to G of Jesus to all people. And third and finally, we gather to participate in gospel encouragement and growth as a family. That's what we do. In these verses, we are warned about not properly viewing ourselves in light of the gospel. Look at, verses, look at verses 27 through 34. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty discerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, so to eat, so, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. If anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we 
um, may not be condemned along with the world. Now notice here. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So, there's a warning here in these verses about not properly viewing ourselves in light of the gospel and loving one another in light of the gospel. When we fail to do that, Paul says, you don't invite God's blessing and favor. Instead, we invite God's displeasure and judgment. So that means part of, our, part of what we do when we gather together is that we point one another towards Jesus and model repentance towards one another. We model desperate dependence on God's grace in our lives. So, instead of divisions, disorder, and discrimination, there should be mutual love, there should be unity, patience, and care based on Christ's love for us. So instead of being selfish and self-centered and focused on my own desires and passions, we must focus our efforts to love and encourage others. Those are all directed outward, by the way. Not towards the self. We do those things towards others. So here's the point. The gospel calls us to love one another. We know that. The gospel calls us to love one another. To help those who are suffering. To empathize with the hurting and the helpless. And to bear one another's burdens. All of this means that if you're not willing to act in love toward one another, then you do not share in the intended meaning of the supper and you will be taking it in an unworthy manner. It's a matter of the heart. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. As we move now towards communion, the Lord's Supper isn't about me, and it's not about any of you individually. It's about Jesus. It's not even about Jesus and me as an individual. It's about Jesus and us as a church family it's about Jesus, his family, his body, his bride, his people, his church. And here's the last thing I want to say. The gathering of people does not equal the gathering of a church. That's what Paul says. He says there has to be some kind of factions because we have to know who's genuine and who's not. So that means the gathering of people does not equal the gathering of a church. The church exists for God's glory and purposes found in Christ. So when you gather... Make sure you gather with the right motives. If you aren't gathering, I'll say this, if you aren't gathering, and that's, that's hard for people to hear, if you have to, I guess if you're gathered, you're here, but for those that might be watching online, if you aren't gathering, then you are not fulfilling the purposes of God in your life or for the church. Medical conditions aside, of course, there are always caveats. But you cannot accomplish these purposes. You cannot accomplish the purposes of church without gathering regularly, consistently, faithfully, and committedly. That's what it means to be a part of Jesus' bride. Again, there's a thousand caveats. I don't have time to go into them. But this is a matter of the heart. And only, only you and Jesus know your heart. So let's make sure we gather for the right purposes. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to move towards the Lord's Supper. Ms. Sheila will play a little bit for us. But um, before I pray, if you don't know Jesus, before we can take the supper, you have to know Jesus, or you will be eating judgment. If you don't know Jesus, then come to him in repentance and faith. Come to him and make sure that you know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, then examine yourself and take of the supper rightly. And so, let me pray for us as we transition. Father, we ask that you would draw near to your people right now as we celebrate communion together. Father, we pray that 
above all things that Christ will be glorified and honored as we turn our hearts and our minds towards the purposes for which we gather. May Jesus receive the preeminence. May the gospel be proclaimed. And may we encourage one another towards faith and repentance as a family. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you should have received the elements of communion as you've come in. If you do not have them, uh, if you will raise your hand, we'll have ushers that will come and bring them to you right now. We have some at the top. Uh, but if you do not have those, uh, just raise your hand right now and we will get them to you. Um, thank you so much. Um, I will encourage you to maybe give it a little swirl. You know, just, I would just encourage you to do that maybe. But listen to God's word here. Well, listen to what I want to say before we, before we take communion. Brothers and sisters, as we draw near to the table of the Lord to celebrate communion, we do this according to Christ's command to remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. We remember that it's only by his blood and through his sacrifice that our sin has been paid for and covered. It is only through Christ's grace and mercy that we have been received into his kingdom. As we read in, as we, as we read in God's word, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a firstfruits of his creatures. This morning we invite anyone who's who has placed their faith in Christ and repented of their sin to receive communion with us this morning. Again, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, then you are in your sin and under God's judgment. What you're watching this morning is a picture of grace. This is God's grace to us. I ask you to repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord. Parents, I ask you to speak with your children about the importance of the Lord's Supper as we take this together. So if you'll take this moment, if you'll open. Um, we start, by the way, with the, we're going to take the bread. So please take that and open it. Listen to Paul's words that we read earlier. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. If you will carefully open the juice. And Paul goes on to say, he says, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, Henry, and we're going to be dismissed. You can place these in the trash uh, receptacle on your way out. But would you stand with us as we sing? Let's be.